And uh, it's a great passage, believe it or not. I'm, I, you know, the, the word of the Lord is it's amazing. Um, if you're open, there's always something, no matter what the passage is. And of course, this morning, you could see most of our Bible's title passages. And so you could see in chapter 23, we come to the death and the burial of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And um, without really saying so, last week, um, we started to open the door to today's subject. Um, and we want to continue this morning in looking at this area of death and dying. And we did so, of course, last week was Easter. And Easter is all about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And um, and so it's like Paul said last week, that is of first importance. He rose. And so it's interesting that having looked at that last week, in a sense, today we actually come to the death of Sarah. And I saw it as an opportunity to go ahead then and uh, talk a little bit about this whole area of dying and uh, death and stuff. Um because, you know, when it comes to dying and death, and especially in our culture, um, we don't really talk about it very much. Um, if you've ever talked to me, you'll hear me say that because I think maybe as a pastor, uh, we have to deal with it um, all the time. Um, so I'm a little more sensitive to the fact that for the most part, it's something that our culture has chose to not talk about to almost act like it doesn't happen and then we deal with it as best as we can when it does happen but then we just try to move on as quickly as we can and and I don't think that's always the most healthy way and I really think that whether it's death or birth or whatever it is uh, we should look at it we should know what the word has to say and prepare ourselves for anything that comes our way and so that's one of my concerns we see that um, there's a lot of interesting ideas about death and that and so many people really again we don't talk about it that's why when someone passes away we we hear so many things i was thinking of a few things that we hear when somebody passes away is that we'll hear statements like well i know they're in a better place and that is true if they're a believer but if they're not a believer let me tell you they are not in a better place we hear things like well i am you know they've now become a guardian angel and, and they're watching over me. And again, I hear that at times. And sometimes I just wonder, where do people get that? Because the scripture doesn't say that. Our loved ones do not become guardian angels that watch over us. Um, you have an angel, in a sense, watching over you, the Lord himself. Let me tell you, he's sufficient. Um, you know, there's a statement people say, I know they're looking down on us. And again, we, we say these things. We hear these things. But there's no evidence in scripture that people are looking down from heaven, you know, or how about I can sense their presence, okay? And, uh, no, you remember their memory, and you're remembering them is what's going on. But, you know, hopefully their presence really isn't there. That's kind of a strange thing to say. But fear of death, confusion concerning death, again, it, it's not, it, it's a situation we have today, but it's not limited to unbelievers, Many believers today are confused about death. They're uninformed, and really they fear death. And it's something we shouldn't fear. Granted, we've never experienced it. If you've experienced it, you wouldn't be here today, right? Okay. But so it is something that we don't know really. And so there is that element, but the Lord can actually, and this is what should happen, the Lord should alleviate most of that fear when we know that we can trust him. And so, again, we don't talk about death. We don't talk about dying. You know, the, they say there's two things every one of us experience in this life. E.J. shaking her head. 
It's death and taxes. And what a great weekend. I'm going to talk about death and your taxes are due by Tuesday. Okay. So anyway, I just thought, you know, whatever. And so this morning, our passage, and again, I'm, I'm going to teach you what Genesis 23 is about. But it's, an, it's, it's a great opportunity, like we do any time, as we teach you the Word, we want to teach you the Bible. But when subjects come up, we want to talk about those subjects as well. So here we have an opportunity to do that, okay? So let's read verse 1. Now, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. She died in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And so time had passed since chapter 22, where Abraham was asked to take Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice. Remember that two weeks ago? So some time had passed. They had noticed they had moved now from Beersheba back to Hebron. And so there's no reason to believe that anything but life was going on. They were living their life. They were serving the Lord. They were taking care of the flocks. They were taking care of what they're doing. They're interacting as a husband and wife. They were enjoying their life. They were living for the Lord, their relationship with the Lord. But the time clock of aging is ticking. And it was ticking on both these. And we'll see Abraham will pass pretty soon. And so this grand lady now passes away from the scene. And so she was a woman. She was a mother who had been through so much, hadn't she? She had been through the good, the bad, if you will. We put it that way sometimes. She saw God's promise come to her husband and to her, as he said, leave the land and God had provided for them. He saw God's promise come as Isaac now had been born. And what a proud moment that was as she was barren. And so she saw so much the She had shown the same faith that her husband had. And so she now passes from the scene at 127 years old. And by the way, this is the only lady in the Bible that mentions the age. Maybe that's why you ladies don't tell us how old you are, you know. Um, But this is the only woman in the Bible that we know how old she was when she passed away. And so um, uh, Sarah now passes from the scene um, at this age. And so... In these first two verses, again, I'm going to give you eight things this morning about death. We actually see three of them. The first thing we see is that everyone dies. Now, these first three for sure are nothing you've never heard. Or if you think about them, you go, well, I knew that. Okay. And I never told you I was going to tell you things on Sundays you've never heard before. I never made that promise. Okay. But it's just a reminder. Now, there is an exception to the rule. And they say, really? How could we not die? And I'll show you. There have been two that did not die, and there are a couple situations where death won't happen. The two who avoided death, of course, one was Enoch. In Genesis 5.24, it says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And then in Hebrews 11.5, By faith Enoch was taken up, so that he should not see death, but he was not found, because God took him up, and he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And so here was one that was pleasing to God. That's not why he was taken up. That was the case. We'd all be taken up, okay? Because in Christ, we are pleasing the Lord. But for some reason, and the Bible really doesn't tell us very specifically, one day Enoch was, and one day he wasn't. Walking with God, and God said, come on up, and took him up into heaven. The other person was Elijah. Elijah and Elijah were walking together one day, and um, we read this in Second Kings. Then it came about as they were going along and talking 
that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses on fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. And so those are the two examples in the word where two people did not die. And I got thinking about that. Wouldn't that be a wonderful way to go? And one day, if you're, I don't know what your routine is. My routine is I usually come out of my house or out of my garage, get into my car, and I head over here to work. And wouldn't it be awesome if one morning there was a chariot? Okay. Now, I know you may be going, well, then no, we don't want you gone, Scott. And some of you may be going, that would be awesome. Okay. <laughs> my wife would not want that. But I thought that would be pretty cool, Lord, that one day a heavenly chariot shows up and says, come on, get in. We're going for a ride. And so those are two examples. Now, where are the situations where people will avoid death? The first of all is the rapture of the church. In 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one, it says, Behold, Paul says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And the word sleep there, when Paul uses sleep in this passages, it's always talking about dying or death. So he's saying, we'll not all die, but we all will be changed. And then go to 1 Thessalonians 4. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, this is the rapture, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the Lord and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, watch, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so, Depending when the Lord's coming back and the rapture takes place, if we are alive when the rapture takes place, we will avoid death. You know, those that have died in Christ will be united with their bodies um, as they'll come back with him. And then you and I will be called up as well. And then the only other situation that says there'll be no death, of course, is in heaven. Revelation 21, he said, he shall wipe away every tear from their eye and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And what a glorious thing that's going to be. You know, the one thing you're not going to think about in heaven is dying. You're not going to. Why? It's not a possibility. You know, you're in a place now where that will be taken off the table. And so... um, here we see then that that everyone other than these situations dies. And even though it doesn't, um, uh, uh, that should be something that impacts a life that then the person would make decisions now for the future. In other words, if there's a possibility there's life beyond the grave, then obviously the time to make that decision is now. Sadly, though, many people don't and they don't want to talk about it. But again, it's something that I want you to talk about and I want you to be ready for and I want you to talk to your family and your friends and your kids about as well because it's an important thing. What else do we learn from the passage? The second thing, loved ones are left behind in death. Obviously, you know these things. For Abraham, watch this, Sarah preceded him to heaven, right? And usually this is a case. A spouse will die before the other one dies. And notice it isn't limited to a spouse. Sarah preceded Isaac, her son. So Isaac is left now without a mother and Abraham is left without a wife. Not too long ago, I was joking first service that um, this doesn't happen too often, but Wink and I got in a great big argument. And it was one of those that, you know, one a year type ones, right? Where it was big, okay? And and I say argument, I don't want to use the word fight because I think fight in it implies something real negative with no solution. 
And I want you to understand that it was a type of argument that it was heated, it was emotional, it was thorough, and yet there was a true reconciliation when it was all said and done. We are exhausted, quite frankly. And it was amazing what came out. Okay, it was just amazing. It's like, whoa, you know, both of us. But one thing that was so tender in the whole thing was uh, one of the things Wink shared with me, and you, you just you don't understand the context. Cause I'm not going to tell you the context of what we were talking about. But one of the things she shared with me that was so precious is she just basically said, I don't want to be here without you, you know. And and I just had never heard her put it that way. And she actually was put it that way with tears in her eyes, just saying, you know, I don't want to be here without you. You are my life. And, and so it was such a precious thing. And, and yet it reminds us that when when someone dies, others are left behind. And and again, so it could be a number of people. And so the best we can, then we need to understand and we need to prepare ourselves for the fact that ones that we deeply love, and they don't always have to be family members, they could be friends, are going to be left to face life without us. And I'm not saying this to make it any easier. It's not any easier in a sense. But it is a fact in God's ways. And so when it happens, there should be the grieving. But we should then not be shaken beyond our foundation. We shouldn't be shaken to the core like, my goodness, what am I going to do now? Because why? You know you're going to make it because you're thinking about it now. And our faith should and will carry us through those times. And so just knowing this and accepting it the best we can can help us prepare for the fact that it's going to happen. And so loved ones are left behind. And then another thing is death, uh, death does involve mourning and weeping. And again, you know this. Notice again, verse 2, that it says Abraham did what? He mourned and weeped when Sarah died. And if you didn't read that, you'd wonder what's going on. And so when someone we love and cared about or even a friend dies, to cry and be sad isn't wrong at all. It's actually a normal and a very healthy response. In the Hebrew, the word here for mourn or weep means to wail, to lament, to cry, or to shed tears. Not too long ago, you know, Tony Jesus, that was a member of this church, passed away so quickly. I found out on, um, I think it was a Saturday, and within a week's time, he was gone. And it was just too quick, way too quick. But I remember having just visited him a few hours later, Lori, a member of our church, she was here last service, called me to tell me. And as she called me, I lost it. And she said, can we pray? I said, you pray. I couldn't pray. And she prayed. I said, i got to go. And I hung up. I was in my study just wailing, just weeping for my dear brother that now has gone on to be with the Lord. And so these things are okay. You know, it isn't a lack of faith. How dare someone give us the impression that, you know, if you trust the Lord more, you wouldn't be sad. You wouldn't be going through it. It's not a lack of faith. When we mourn, it's, it just shows the, the care and the love that we have for the individual that went on before us. And so, again, we need to do that. And, you know, I think for me, I've lost a brother. He was only 24 years old. I lost my father so far. I mentioned Tony. Dave was another wonderful brother in this fellowship that the Lord called home at an early time. Leah was a great lady in this fellowship that suffered for years with cancer. But what a woman of faith, man. I often told Leah, yeah, I did, I told her, I said, you know, Leah, she goes, I can't, I can't figure out why God just keeps me here. I said, oh, Leah, he keeps you here for me. 
because you're such an incredible example to me, a woman of faith and a woman that is going through incredible suffering and you just keep trusting God. And I'll never forget that. Seriously. Now, I know that's not why the Lord just kept her here. That's what it was for me, though. Because to this day, I'll never forget that. That woman spoke to me as what a woman of faith is like. And so again, we see this happen and, and this type of thing take place. And so um, we we realize that we just keep trusting the Lord. Well, we go on in the story. Watch what happens. Verse 3, Then Abraham arose from before his dead, before Sarah, and he spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, Now let me tell you what's happening in this passage, because if you haven't read ahead, it's going to be a little confusing to you. What you have in this passage is a real estate transaction. Really, I'm very serious. Okay, And the language is such that it seems a little strange, but if you just think about it, it's not a haggling, but it's a negotiating of a cave, and you'll see also a piece of land to bury Sarah in. And so this is a language that you have to keep in your mind as you listen to this. So verse 4, he says, he rose to the sons of Heth, I am a stranger and sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And so the sons of Heth answered him, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. And so Abraham rose and he bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth, and he spoke with them, saying, if it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and approach Ephron, the son of Zahor, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, which is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in the presence for a, in your presence for a burial site. And so living in a strange land, Abraham then seeks to buy a place where he can bury Sarah. And in one sense, it was Abraham's land, wasn't it? God had called him to this land. God says, I will give you this land. And so in that sense it was. But watch this. This is very encouraging. Okay, it, it, The fulfillment wasn't there yet. And I thought, Lord, that's just like for you and I. So often there are promises to you and I. doesn't mean they're because they haven't come true, they're not going to come true. But it just means that we've got to keep trusting you. The timing of them hasn't come yet. And I find that so encouraging in me as I just keep trusting God knowing the promises of him, things he's said for us that are going to be ours, and yet they haven't come. Well, we just keep walking and we just keep trusting. And so Abraham, he has this cave in mind. And no doubt having anticipated this day, it belongs then to the son of Heth. And these were Hittites. And so, again, the language of the chapter isn't so much a negotiating, I mean, a, a, a haggering over it, but a negotiating. The reason I say it is for years, Bible commentator guys said, this is just typical Eastern haggling, okay? But then, very interesting, archaeology discovered Hittite documentations and Hittite law that in detail, exactly what we're seeing here, the law this is how this type of transaction would take place. And so it isn't just, you know, you know, two people haggling trying to get the best price. No, it was Hittite law, and this is a process they went through in order for them to come to this ar- arrangement. And again, notice um, Abraham asked that somebody would work with Ephron and himself to negotiate this whole thing out. And so, um, again, it may sound that um, verse 4 that Abraham is saying, give me a a burial site. But again, the Hebrew word for 
give is sell actually. And it's clear in verse 13 when the same word is used, he says, I will give the price. So he's not asking for anything free. They're really negotiating and coming to terms with this. And so asking for a place to bury Sarah, notice with no hesitation, verse 6, they offer Abraham to take the choices of the grave, whatever one you desire, Abraham. You know, you take what you want. And it's because of how well Abraham was respected. He was an incredible man. He said, you're a prince among us. And so it was because of that, um, the respect that Abraham, his character, um, that he was said, go ahead and you take whatever one you want and we will work it out. And if you wonder what kind of man he was, not only from that response, but again, look at verse 7 and verse 12. What does it happen there? Twice we read that Abraham bows down in this whole negotiating process, an uh, act of humility. And this is the type of man Abraham was. You know, he's a great example for you and I. You know, do you ever realize as Christians, sometimes you forget how you're supposed to behave? You do, don't you? I do. You know, sometimes you get self-centered, you get selfish, you get rude and everything else. And we need to remind ourselves, no, there's a way we're to behave. And Abraham's a great example here. In this way, Dr. Henry Morris says his manner of dealing with people of the world is surely a noble example for believers today to follow. An attitude of superiority, no less than an attitude of begging for worldly favors, is inappropriate in such relationships. And see, Abraham didn't do that. And Griffith Thomas, a pastor from long ago, said, Abraham's attitude stands out in a very beautiful way. Religion is not intent, intended to decrease, but to increase natural politeness gentlemanliness and courtesy. Indeed, courtesy is one of the truest marks of a genuine believer. And so Abraham was this great witness, a man of courtesy, if you will, to those around him. And that's just a, a kind of a side note in this whole thing. Another thing just to note is, just so you know about the cave of uh, Machpelah, is it won't just be Abraham who gets bar- uh, Sarah that gets buried here. Abraham will end up being buried here, along with their son Isaac, Rebekah, Isaac's wife, Uh, Leah and Jacob will all end up being laid to rest in this very cave. Now, we go on. What else do we see here? We've already seen that everyone's going to die. We've seen that loved ones are left behind when someone dies. We see death involves mourning. So the fourth thing we see is that we should anticipate death and when possible, even plan for it. And so there's little doubt that Abraham knew Sarah would die and even that he could tell the time was getting close. And again, Don't be afraid to talk like this. I mean, come on. We know today when somebody gets into their 70s and 80s in our culture, the time is getting close. Most people die in their 70s or 80s. Some go on into their 90s and some even go on into the hundreds. But in our culture, I think it's towards the end of the 70s where the average person passes away. So when somebody's in their 70s or 80s, it's not morbid or weird to think about they're going to be passing away pretty soon. It's just the way it is. And so there's no doubt that I'm sure Sarah and Abraham knew this. They probably had discussed it. Many feel that way, including, you know, where are we going to, where are you going to bury me, you know, type of thing. And so you can see it then when it happens, it seems Abraham knew that he, what he needed to do, didn't he? The minute it happens, he mourns and then he gets up, if you will, to take care of things. And, and so if we know we are going to die someday, then we should anticipate it and we should plan for it. And I say this again because our culture doesn't address this. We go on and live life. All of us have seen death. We've experienced death by somebody, but we still act like it's not going to happen. And when it does happen, too often, 
Um, it doesn't get handled the right way. And even for believers, they don't handle it the right way. And so, again, that's my hope, really, is to equip you. Again, can't make it less difficult. It's going to be difficult. But that we can then rest upon the assurance of the word. We can have faith. We can have comfort in Christ. And we can come through those times glorifying God. And I'm not thinking of the unforeseen accident, the unforeseen death. You know, I mentioned my brother. My brother died when he was 24 years old. We had four months warning. You know, him and I into the drug culture, caught hepatitis from dirty needles. His hepatitis turned into liver cancer. By the time they caught it and discovered it, they said four months and almost four months to the day, he passed away. And those are very hard to plan for. Very hard to anticipate in, in many ways. They do catch us off guard. Okay. But as believers, they shouldn't rock us off our foundation, should they? Because we say, well, we'll trust God. God's working. And, I, and, I, and so I'm thinking, the, not so much that accidental thing, but knowing everyone's going to die. And when the time comes, most of the time, there's some indication. So now's the time to think about it. And so there are practical steps that can be taken and, and to do. And I, I think, you know, there's so many. You can come up with others. But first of all, talk about it. Have you as a husband and wife, if you're here today, have you talked about it? You know, why not? There you go. There's your date night. Yeah. It's the last thing you'll come to me for an idea about what to do on your date. My mother is 82. She'll be 83 in about a half a year. One day I was out to lunch with her and Wink and I were out to lunch. And I asked my mom. I said, Mom, can we talk about your funeral and everything? And she says, what are you doing? Putting me in the grave? You know, she's joking. But I think she appreciated it. Because I said, no, I want to know, Mom. What do you want us to do? What songs do you want sung? You know? And so, again, this is healthy, you guys. You know? Especially when one's a believer. We've got to remember, it, where are they going? They're going to a much better place. They really are. They're going to heaven to be with the Lord. And so there's things like that. And they, we should talk about you know, burial and think, think these things through before it happens. And that's such a difficult time to do that. And I speak from experience. And by the way, just a side note any of you ever want to talk to me about this stuff, I'd love to talk to you about it. Because there is so much as a pastor, I have done so many funerals and I've seen so many things and I've had literally to take families and walk them through the entire process because there was no preparation and when it happened, they couldn't do it. And I had to go with them and meet with funeral directors and take care of everything for them. And I don't mind doing that. But it doesn't have to be that way. So there's so much in this area that you can plan for. But here's the most important thing. In the planning, most important, we should be planning for the person's soul as well. Amen? That's the most important thing. I thought of the verse, you know, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? We can say, well, what does it profit a man if he has his funeral planned thoroughly, but he doesn't know Christ? <laughs> you know? Oh, great. You got a great tomb. You got a great casket. You got a great monument, everything else. But guess what? And you went the wrong direction, see? And so again, planning for one's soul, making sure that one has had a chance to hear and understand the gospel, what Christ has done for them, and hopefully receive them. And that's so important. You know, I know you'd like me to say, can somebody else take care of that? And I have to say to you, no, somebody else can't take care of that. God's will, very often, is that you are the one that needs to be witnessing and sharing to your loved ones and your friends. You're the one. You say, well, can you do it, Scott? And that happens at times. Usually when there's death, someone will say, you know, can you go visit so-and-so? And they want me to go and share the gospel. And usually I will. But you know what? 
God's got you connected with people that you're connected with because you're the one that's supposed to be doing it. You say, I can't. Yes, you can. What you're really saying is I'm not trusting Christ to do it. Okay? So just trust the Lord. Say, give me the strength, Lord. Help me to do it. And he'll do it. And it's so important, you guys, that we do that. And so, again, that's the important thing. Another thing, fifth thing is death isn't to stop us from living for Christ. I'm sure you notice. Watch this. I love this. Having mourned his wife, Abraham then, verse 3, what? Rose up and did what needed to be done. And in Sarah's death, we get a picture of what death and dying looks like for the one who knows Christ, right? What do you see? Sarah dies. Abraham mourns. Nothing wrong with that. After the morning, he gets up and he gets on with life. And that is a beautiful picture of what you and I have to do as well as believers. Okay, you know, we we need to get back to life and back to the things the Lord would have us do after someone has passed away. And that doesn't mean there's no memory of the one who's passed away or that there's no sadness. But understand death, especially if the one that died is a believer we then, we once again, we move on, we live life, we rejoice that now they are with the Lord and they're free of all the things that we're not free of. So again, it's a good thing. And, and again, it doesn't mean we forget them. We don't. Uh, again, talking about death, knowing what the Bible says, goes a long way with how you're going to handle it and move on. Sixthly, we are to, what are we to do with the body? I think that question comes up here, doesn't it? You know, when a person dies, should they be buried or should they be cremated? Scripture, I'll tell you, is silent. It's not there. Okay. Obviously, in the Bible, we see most people are buried. Okay. But Scripture doesn't say, come right out and say, you know, one has to be buried or one has to be cremated. It doesn't say it. Cremation is a lot more popular and done a lot more today than it's ever been done before in the years past. And part of it probably is cost. Again, I've witnessed this all too often. This can be a very expensive time. That's part of the planning. And again, I'd be more than glad to talk to you. You need to be careful at times. I'm not trying to indict the, the funeral home industry. But let me tell you, if many of them will take advantage of you. And so now's the time to talk about that. You know, I don't know. Um, I guess I'm probably leaning towards cremation, but... If a wink says, well, I'd rather bury you, I'll tell her, well, then let's just get one of those pine boxes that they wrap gray felt on. And that's fine for me. You know, I think it's kind of cool. I've always loved wood, you know, so just, you know, do that, man. But please don't spend any more money than you need to, you know. And so, again, it's just an area that you need to talk about and think about and be educated in. Don't be taken advantage of in that, that area. And so, you know, but again, it, it you know, Cremation or burial, the scripture is silent. If one says cremation is wrong because of what it does to the body, you know, making it nothing, making it ashes, there's no burial site necessarily. Um, the problem I have with that, that argument, is the fact that if you take that argument far enough, then you have to think about, um, one, in time, everybody becomes dust. Just give your body time and it's gone. So that's it. Just it's gone. It's just... You know, people that were buried hundreds of years ago, they're, they, they're gone. It's not there anymore. Caskets, everything are gone. Today, of course, they use metals, so that would probably last. But, you know, body, it doesn't last. The other thing that answers that question about against cremation is the fact that if you just look at, you think of the example of what happens to, unfortunately, people in war. And there have been probably hundreds of people that have been hit by ammunitions and their body has been disintegrated and gone. And so, again... Sometimes we, we think it's wrong, but um, 
it happens. And, you know, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with you say, well, then, okay, when Christ comes back and the body's united with them and all this, how's that going to happen? You know, my God is big enough to take care of it, okay? And he'll take care of it, you know? And so if he can take care of knowing this person was buried here, okay, phew, I know where they're at, you know? And, you know, Mr. Smith that died in World War II was lost in the Pacific when their ship went down. Um, He can take care of that. He will bring it all together. So again, I don't think that. But you know, here's what here's what's important, you guys. And this is really what I want you to hear. As believers, we need to remember when one passes, the body is instantly vacated. To be absent from the body, 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, is to be present with the Lord. Okay? And that is so important to remember. In fact, I think the very healthiest attitude and thing we need to understand about it is when Paul said this, that when a person passes... He saw the body as a tent. This is a tent. You know, holding the spirit and the soul. And the minute one passes, that aspect of us goes to be with the Lord. And again, you think about this. If you've ever gone to a funeral and you have viewed that loved one that has passed away, has it dawned on you when you look at the body, you realize they're not there. There's no more obvious time than that. I'm not trying to be morbid here. Okay? I'm not trying to say it's not a tender time and a difficult time, but it's obvious the life in that person is gone. And no other time do I think it's more obvious that that's a tent. This is a tent. Okay? And you know, quite frankly, I'm looking forward to a new tent. You know? Now, some of you are young and you're going, mine's pretty good. <laughs> well, you know, mine has been cut up a few times with surgeries and everything else and it's it's wearing, okay? It's wearing. I'm ready to turn it in for the new model. And so, again, Second Corinthians 5.1, we know that if this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, again, Paul's talking about the body here, and he's talking about dying, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So that's a great promise. So we go on, verse 10. Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even of all who went in at the gate of his city, saying, note that gate of the city, I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. He said, no, my Lord, hear me. I gave you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. Now note that. Up to this point, Abraham has been asking for a cave. Now you see something else is added, the word field. And I'll tell you about what that means in a minute. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you, bury your dead. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land He spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will only please listen to me, I'll give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. And then Ephron answered Abraham, saying, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is is that between me and you? So bury the dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron. Abraham weighed out for for Ephron the silver, which he had uh, named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. And so Abraham works out all the details of buying the cave of Machpelah. He gives Ephron these 400 shekels of silver. By the way, that was 100 times more than the field was worth. So you, I don't know what to tell you about that. But it was 100 times what the field should have cost. Okay, But again, he gives it to him. And notice I said to you, verse 10, the mention of the city gate. See, this is what's going on here. 
We saw it with Lot. We see it throughout the word. All the time, it, there's emphasis in the Bible upon the gates of city because that's where business transactions were taking place. And so we've mentioned that. Now we see one actually taking place there as all this negotiating was taking place at the city gate. Um, and that's what they do. And did you notice that asking for a place to bury Sarah, just a cave, like I told you, he comes up now with a cave and a field. And it wasn't because Abraham was a shrewd businessman. Wow, good job, Abraham. No. Again, this was an important thing. They found out in Hittai law that if he had just sold him the cave, but he retained the he uh, uh, Ephron re, remained the owner of the field, then he was still responsible to the king for anything the king wanted. There was kind of an obligation for the landowners towards the king, and this now then freed him because it was no longer his field; it was Abraham's field. And any obligation the king wanted, Abraham would have to fulfill. So that's why all of a sudden we go from just a cave to a field and Abraham ends up buying um, them both. And so we already noted in Abraham getting up from grieving that death is going to stop us from living for Christ. And, and that's what we see here. And so under that point, add this, that, that sometimes we're funniest people. We always complain about our jobs, our work. Work can be a friend in times of death and other struggles. It really can. There's something to be said that after something happens, get back at it. Get back to work. Get back to life. Keep moving on and watch God work. And so it's interesting that Griffith Thomas said, service always prevents sorrow um, from becoming uh, dissipated in, in idle regrets and mere remembrance. And so again, Service is an important thing. And so the chapter ends. So Ephron, Ephron's field, verse 17, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, the field in the cave, which was in it, and all the trees which were in the field that were in all the confines of its border were deeded over. And by the way, when I told you these details are not by accident, in Hittite law, that verse right there mentioning all those details, that's exactly how they would record the deed. You know what you have? A legal description. If you own property, you understand what I'm talking about. Your house has a legal description, and that's what they're doing here. Verse 18, to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the city gate, at the gate of his city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And so the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. And so having made the purchase, Abraham bury Sarah, and this, by the way, is the first purchase in the promised land. Okay, Isn't that interesting? This is all Abraham would ever own, even though the whole land is promised to him. And so it's given to Abraham, it's given to his descendants, and still that today, it's Israel's, Abraham's descendants. And so two things in closing that we see then, two more things. The seventh thing is, death can be a time then of tremendous witness. We see this while uh, this wasn't Abraham's homeland, it was the land that God had called him to. And in faith, trusting God, not wavering, he now buries his wife in this new land. And it's a witness to the Lord who he served, a witness to his faith and, and, and that it was intact still. See, Hebrews 11.13 says, All these died in faith without receiving the promise, having, been, having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country um, of their own. For indeed, if they had been thinking of that country uh, from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. 
But as it is, and it does refer to Abraham here, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And so Abraham, we already noted it, was an incredible witness. You know, when she died, they said, whatever you want, Abraham, you pick, you take, we'll work it out. And you guys, death and dying is really another opportunity to testify to the glory of God either directly or indirectly. When my brother passed away, it first of all testified to me. I had come to the Lord. I had only known the Lord a few months, but I was still using drugs. And you say, well, that's kind of weird. You're right. That's kind of weird. Okay. Shouldn't be. But that's what you are when you're a drug addict. You know, you realize you've got a problem, but you're still breaking away from it. And so when my brother finally was told he was going to die, and literally when he died... I call it my two-by-four experience. Because I feel, and I, I just use those type of terms because they work for me, that God had to kind of smack me in the head and kind of say, listen, you're not living the way I want you to live. You can't come to me because you know you need me and accept me and then continue to do your drugs. Do you understand what just happened? You just lost a brother because of what you're doing. And so get with me or get away from me. And it was a great motivator. One of the greatest things in my life, really, that it was just that moment where I realized I was playing around with my Christianity and God said, I'll have none of that. And I said, OK, Lord, I'll have none of it either. And, and then his death has been used so often as just a great testimony. I love to share it. I love to share it with you because it encourages you. It comforts you. Years ago, not too long when I was in early days in the ministry and we lived in the Dalles, Oregon, I'd go into the high schools in the Dalles, Oregon, nine times a year for four years in a row, and I shared, there was only two high schools in that city, I shared with every high school student, senior, in the one school, my very testimony. Because a health teacher, one day he'd bring the health department person in to talk about drugs, but he liked me. He kind of liked the idea, well, let's have somebody come in that had lived them. And then I said, well, if I come, I have to share my testimony. And he never said no. And so for four straight years, nine times a year, I shared with every senior class of the Dallas High School about drugs, but about how Jesus got me off drugs. See, So God uses it. God can be glorified in times of death. And then the last thing, and this is the best thing we could end on. Again, I'm not trying to be totally thorough today. Death isn't the end. There is a resurrection. The truth is everybody will be resurrected. Does that surprise you? No. Everybody will be resurrected. Those who are in Christ are resurrected to eternal life. Those who are not in Christ, they're resurrected, but they're resurrected to eternal punishment. And Jesus is the one who points this out. In John 5:28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth, those who died, uh, did the good deeds to the resurrection life and those who committed evil deeds to the resurrection of judgment. And it's not saying there that good works gets one to heaven. It's all Bible always is clear that deeds reveal where one is at. And good deeds is a reference to the fact that they're doing the things of God. And so it's very clear. And then Matthew 22, speaking of a resurrection, but regarding the resurrection of the dead, again, Jesus speaking, have you not read that which was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God. Notice that he didn't say I was the God. He says, I am the God of who? Abraham. I am the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. So really, one day, you guys, we are going to be in heaven. And guess who's going to be there? Abraham. 
I told the first service, first service, I thought, you know, I would give up a Sunday nap to spend it with Abraham. <laughs> Just to sit down and say, let's talk, man. Tell me about that time, you know. Who knows? Maybe he'll say, well, Scott, tell me about your time, man. What was it like? But what an incredible thing. There is a resurrection. And so, again, I hope this has helped you guys. Again, I think it's something we avoid in this culture of ours for some reason. I don't think it's healthy. And so you as believers, you need to understand uh, what surrounds death, things about death. Hopefully I've given you some ideas today, helped you with some stuff. And, uh, and so hopefully it's been beneficial to you. The side note in this whole thing, I know you're thinking, man, I didn't know this is what church was going to be like this morning. Especially if you're visiting, you're going to kind of go, this is kind of weird, you know. But the, the encouraging thing is, even in the midst of Sarah's death and this, we just keep seeing these two people. Now Sarah's gone. And yet, what great examples for you and I. Live like they did, you know. It, it may not be death at this moment, but what are you facing? And it could be as big as death. But just keep trusting God. Just keep looking to God. And so that's another thing that we see here. Amen? Let's stand. Don't forget, if you uh, haven't uh, given us your information or taken a picture for the directory, that do that. And Sean will be up here in just a minute with a camera, and she could take your picture. And so... Uh, because and then also if you have check the information make sure we got it right make any corrections right on the two copies back there our father thank you uh, for our morning thank you lord that um, your word always surprises us lord it is so thorough it it deals with everything and lord most importantly we just know that um we're so thankful that we need not fear death and lord i had pray a special prayer this morning for all of us that in our friends and loved ones that don't know you lord would you open those doors and help us not to be afraid. Help us to take our fear of sharing and just give it over to you right instantly, Lord. And be bold enough, Lord. It's a very serious thing. And so, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to talk about this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lord bless.